I'm joined on another very special Football CFB podcast by Paul Bodman, who is a director of Chester Football Club. And this is a podcast that I think will interest lots of people in Scotland because Chester are a fan-owned club. They've been through a turbulent time over the last 20 years, but they've been fan-owned now in the last 10 since the, the football team Chester City folded, as Paul will discuss. And they're on a journey to try and get back to the Football League. Paul has to be elected to the board by uh, their fans group, City Fans United, who who are the owners of the club. Um, I'm a member of City Fans United myself, and one of the main reasons I joined is because Paul and all at Chester really helped me last year during some of my mental health challenges, and, and I feel a real big part of, of what Chester are doing, having forced a really good, strong friendship um, and relationship with Paul and, and I hope his passion for football and his knowledge of the fan ownership structure comes through in this podcast because he's someone who knows a lot about football, he's a Chester fanatic and he's involved in the business side of football which is very interesting too. I never told you thankful to Paul Bodman who is a, a director of Chester Football Club for joining me on the podcast um, this evening My pleasure I'd like to start Paul obviously the situation in football is unprecedented at the moment the National League um, planned on going ahead with football as normal but that decision obviously has not went that way for Chester the club's made a decision to call the game off is that correct? Yes, we did today. Um, the, the league that we're playing in, the National League, they made a decision earlier on today to play. All the teams can play, so all the games have to be played. <clears throat> um, but I think there was a proviso in there that the clubs, um, if there was anything to do with the coronavirus uh, within the club, around the club, or they got any suspicion of anything like that at all, they could call the game off. We, as a board of directors... I've made the decision to call our game off against Boston tomorrow simply because, as a board, we have a duty of care to all our paid staff, the players, the management team, <clears throat> excuse me, the volunteers, that we rely on heavily being a fan zone club to run, the, to run everything on a, a match day basis. And we felt that we couldn't risk any of them catching anything like this, especially with some of them being over 50, in fact, quite a few of them being over 50, um, and that would, they would be a little bit more susceptible to this bug, and we felt that it wouldn't be fair to them, and we would be failing in our duty of care towards them. So we had the game called off. Having looked at the reaction on social media, a lot of the club's <laughs> fans seem to be very understanding of the situation, which also helps, doesn't it? Uh, yes, they have. I mean, to be fair, a lot of the Chester fans, they realise the club is fan-owned. They realise the way it's set up and how it works. And because of that, they were a little surprised that the league sort of said that you've got to play the games on Saturday. And um, 
I think when the board sort of stepped in and we had a discussion about it, uh, obviously we were all working, so we were doing this via email and telephone and everything. Uh, I think a lot of them were very, very pleased that the game was called off because it could well have affected our attendance tomorrow. We're averaging around about 2,000, 2,100. So uh, anything sort of below 1,800 and we're sort of starting to get into loss-making situation. So we, we could have had a very poor attendance. It wouldn't have been fair to the supporters to put them into a situation like that. So I, th- I think they're very pleased that we've called the game off. Well, I've got you on the podcast. Um, I'm, I'm, as you know, having spoken to you a lot over the last um, few months, uh, I'm really excited yeah. by what's going on at Chester. It's a club that really interests me, especially because of the fan ownership. It's something in Scotland we're starting to see a wee bit more of, and, and it's something that's very positively received in Scotland. Can you just sum up what fan ownership is like for Chester and how it came about? I know that could be like a, a whole podcast in itself, but even just a, a summary of that. Yes, I will do. Um, well, we're going into our 10th year of fan ownership. In 2010, Chester City, who had uh, been in the Football League and had some good success, not a great deal of it, but you know they were a, a decent side in the lower leagues. Um, they were folded uh, in the High Court uh, because they owed about 26, 27,000 pounds in uh, in tax. Um, and the owner didn't contest it. I think the owner decided he had had enough of it. So it was uh, wound up in the high court. Um, then a group of uh, our supporters got together. These were representatives from the three uh, supporters groups that we had. We amalgamated him, him into one as City Fans United. And we had a board put together from each of the three groups. And then we went forward. The ground, fortunately for us, was fan uh, was council-owned, so it helped us as a fan-owned club to be able to purchase that. The council backed us enormously. They repossessed the ground from the previous owner. They then leased it to us on a five-year deal to start with, just to see how we, we, we would go. Um, then we applied to the league. Uh, we got some serious help from teams like FC United, uh, of Manchester because they set up uh, a little bit before us then and they they knew what the process was. We got help from Wimbledon who had done it previously who are now a successful football league club in League One, I believe. Um, so we had a lot of help from a lot of people. The fans rallied round. We got into a league which was the Evo Stick North which is about three leagues below where we are now and basically we progressed up the league's and obviously, being a bigger club at that level, we were able to get better players. So we won the league the first year. Then we got up to the next league, won that, and then the next league. And until we got into the um, what was then the Conference Premier, which is now the National League, um, before getting relegated back one step to the uh, National North. But it has been a, an unbelievable journey over the last 10 years. Uh, we've had great highs. We've had uh, some lows, obviously, with relegation. We've had so many people helping us as a club. The fans have got behind us. Um, the club has got some very, very good sponsorship. Um, MBNA, who are basically a credit card company with a head office for Europe in Chester, and they've supported us from day one. 
They've got, uh, we've got their logo on our shirts and they help out with the academy and various other things. And about six months ago, we signed a new three-year deal for uh, sponsorship with them. So uh, we, we're still working so hard to get the, the businesses in Chester to buy into what we're trying to do. Um, some of them are not too sure if financial ownership is going to work or not. But we've been going for 10 years now, so we've got a history behind us and a history of success. What we want to do now is to build on that to get back up into the Football League, because that's our holy grail, to want of a better phrase. We need to be back in the Football League, and we're doing everything we can to get back up there. But it has been a journey. It's been a wonderful journey. I've met some incredible people, as, and we've all stuck together. And that's the trick. If you can get your supporters and the people that you were put in place to run the club on your behalf, if you can all stick together and push in the same direction, then you will be successful. Absolutely. And being a fan-owned club is something that it must be wonderful because the community has such a vested interest in the club more so than ever when they're part of the ownership structure. What challenges does fan ownership bring and what are the main advantages of it? Right, the main advantages of it are you haven't got one person owning the club. Um, so it doesn't matter if they're a millionaire, multi-millionaire, billionaire, whatever. But you haven't got one person making the decisions for your club. And whether you're a fan of, of a club that's got, got an owner like that or whether you're a, a, a fan's own club like we are, you have to have trust and faith in what you do. The advantages of being a fan-owned club is that we make the decisions. It really is as simple as that. We have a board in place that has to be elected by our CFU members, that City Fans United members. If you're not a member, then you can't vote on who you want in. We all have to, we all have to be vetted, not just by the FA, but we have to be vetted by our own supporters to make sure that they feel they were the right person to do a job for the club. Once we're on, we're on for three years. Now, the supporters have faith in us because they put us there. We are responsible to the supporters, so we all have to work together. So instead of just a board of sort of eight or nine, we have actually sort of like 1,500 other owners of the club that have a say as well. When you have one owner or a board of two or three people that are putting money in, basically what they say goes. You don't have a say in how the club's run. You just turn up and watch the games, pay your money, get your season tickets, buy the shirts and all the rest of that. But you don't have a say in how it's run or how, which direction, basically, you want it to go in. When it's fan-owned, that is exactly what you have to do. You have to make those decisions. We have regular meetings once a month, formal CFU member meetings, we all, as board members, have got a portfolio. Mine is commercial director, so I have to talk to them about what's happening on the commercial side. And they have a right to know exactly what's going on. Um, various others will do. We've got an IT guy. We've got, uh, obviously, a football manager, uh, <clears throat> a football secretary, which works with the managers, and so on and so forth. So we, we've got everything in place with the people that have been elected on the board. But we are answerable to our own fans. But we all work together. It's, a, it's fantastic, it is, really, because 
it's the best way to go forward if you're a smaller club. How far you can actually get up the league system is another matter because the downfall of that is raising the money. If you've got a multimillionaire backing you and owning the club, then if you need a play, he just, he just managers go up to him and he'll just say, right, that's it. Yeah, I'll sign a cheque for 100000 200000 whatever it might be to sign a player. We can't do that. We have to raise and generate all our own finances ourselves. And because of that, we have to work on lesser budgets, which means that the managers that we have realise that and then they have to work accordingly. So what we've done is we've got Jono and Bernard in, uh, Bernard Morley and Anthony Johnson that used to be at Salford. And you might well have seen them on TV uh, over the last few years. Well, they're our managers, great guys, really, really, really passionate about the football club, want to get it back in the Football League, but they know the limitations of it. But they also know the area around Manchester, Chester, North Wales, where the players are that can get us into a higher level. So, plan ownership, everybody works together, everybody makes the decisions. Drawback, obviously, financially, you're never as strong. If you've got an owner, you don't make any decisions, you just hope and pray that they're going to get it right and not rip the club off, which sadly has happened far too many times and obviously happened to us. And the money will be there if if the managers need something straight away. So that's the difference between one and the other. Personally, I prefer fan-owned because it's a great journey. It's a great ride. It must have been a, a great ride. And one thing I'm interested to ask you personally, you've you followed Chester since the Chester City days when you were you were playing against the likes of Manchester United, beating Manchester United, <coughs> um, having massive cup upsets. Um, being a sustainable football league club now, all of that, pardon me, as we've said, came to an end about ten years ago for such a, for a situation out with yourself and and the fans' control because it was down to one owner. See, when you have supported a club in the football league and a club even in the national league or the conference premier, as it was called, see when you get down to that evil stick division, is that? It's a sad situation because obviously you know where the club was, but it's also in a strange way an exciting situation because you're going round the country and seeing all these grounds and and doing something completely different to build yourselves back up. Yes, it's. I've supported the club since I was about six or seven years old. Uh, blame my dad for that. <laughs> he took me to. He said, "Do you want to go to a football match yet?" And obviously we lived in Chester, so I went to Chester. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen, over the years, I've seen some great things. I, Ian Rush came through our academy. I've seen him blossom as a 17-year-old in our first team, scoring goals for fun. Obviously, then went on to Liverpool. The money we got from him, uh, probably, well, it certainly built a new stand at the, at the old Sealand Road ground, and uh, it helped sort of finance team building for the next three or four years. Um I've seen some fantastic cup cup matches when we got to the as a Division Four club as it was in them days. Uh, we into mid seventies we got to the semi final of the League Cup, uh, which is unheard of. Um, we beat Newcastle along the way, and they were full of top players, Malcolm McDonnell and and so so many others. You know, English, England, Scottish, Irish internationals. We played Leeds United. 
who were the champions of the English First Division then. That season, when we played them, they got through to the semi-final of the European Cup. And in them days, uh, it was only the champions from each country could qualify for that. And we hammered them 3-0 at home in front of 19,000 people. And it was an unbelievable experience. So I've gone from the highs of that all the way down to the lows of relegation and the club folding. But the experiences that I've had as a fan-owned club, when it first started, we went to very small clubs that used to get, and probably still do in all fairness, maybe 100 or 150 at a game as an attendance. And we would go down there with 1,200 fans. And the money that they gleaned from that, with us going down, would keep them going for the next two, three, four years. And this happened time and time again. And it was a wonderful experience meeting new people that are now our friends <clears throat> because we loan players out to these clubs, some of our youngsters, to get experience. And there is a bond there that, when you're in the Football League, doesn't always exist because of the pressure for you to succeed in the Football League in England is very, very strong. When you're in the non-league, as we are currently at the moment, and you work your way back up again, like we have, like Darlington have, Aldershot have, and various other clubs as well, you have that togetherness, not just with your own fans, but with the supporters of other clubs, with the officers and players and managers of other clubs because we know that we're all in it together and it is fantastic so I've seen the very highs and the success that we've had and I've seen the lows as well but now hopefully you know we're on the upward curve again and we can get more success in the future. In terms of where the club are now you mentioned Anthony Johnson and Bernard Morley, known as John Owen Byrne, to, to many who watch them on TV. And, and I must say, what's unique about Chester is, in Scotland, although a lot of people maybe aren't completely aware of the project at Chester, I hope this interview um, helps put Chester out to a Scottish audience. Most people in Scotland who follow their football will know who John Owen Byrne are through the exposure they had on television. When you first worked with them in the club, first worked with them coming into the club, what were they like coming in? Were they a breath of fresh air, having been through the experience of Salford and having that experience? That, oh dear. <clears throat> How can I describe John Owen Byrne? They are very enthusiastic, seriously enthusiastic. Um, we were looking for a manager. We were going to appoint somebody else, um, but that fell through. Just at the time... Uh, John O and Byrne were sort of sacked or released by Phil and Gary Neville. And we couldn't say no, really. We knew that they had had some success. We knew of them, obviously, because of the TV programme and obviously through footballing um, circles. Um, we asked them if they would be interested and they couldn't sign up quickly enough because they knew that Chester were a bigger club than what they'd been used to, and it was the next step on the journey for them. And they really, the pair of them, really, really bought in. From the very first day, I met them, I think it was about the third day, um, 
after they had signed their contract and come in. And I, I was down at the club doing some commercial stuff and I was introduced to them. And immediately you can just take to these two guys. They are funny. They are totally committed. They're success driven. And they get the complete idea of how Chester Football Club is set up. They understand it. They sort of relate to the fans. They After the games, you will see them both in the Legends Lounge upstairs where we host our uh, visitors and our sponsors. Uh, they're up there. They'll have their after-match meal. Um, then they will go downstairs and they will mingle with the normal supporters and uh, have a drink with them and talk to them. And they are honest. Um, in the Legends Lounge upstairs, I host up there and I do an interview with Jono just about every game. And whether we win, lose, or draw, I can ask him any question, whatever it is, about, well, we were got beat 4-0 last week and the players were rubbish, you know, what are you going to do about it? And he'll tell you. He'll say, well, we weren't happy with some of the players. We dropped three of them for this game. Two of them are going to be sitting on the bench. One's dropped completely. Weren't happy with the attitude of them. Brought some new players in who have been chomping at the bit. And we're going to go again. And he is that honest. Uh, there's no airs or graces with them. They want us back in the Football League. They've just signed recently two and a half year contract extensions, which is fantastic for the football club. Um, they know that they've got a persona, which has been obviously put across because of the television programme. But they are different to that. That is just one side of how the TV portrayed them to be. But if you talk to them, and I know Callum's coming down to see us later on in the season and he's going to meet them, so he will he will know exactly what I'm talking about when he sees them. They are down to earth. They are methodical in how they do things. They how it, how it basically works as a team between the two of them is that one of them's technical... Uh, Bernard is very tactically nouse. Jono is more the passionate, sort of drive them on, egg them on, get them going, you know, when things not maybe going right on the game. Bernard always sits in the stand for the first half, looking at what's going on, looking at the shape and everything that the players. Jono's shouting at them to make sure that they do all the work. Um, Half-time, Jono will go down and he will stand by the dugout with, uh, with Jono, um, and then they work together, but it's always a team. Everything that they talk about is a team. They're a team. The players are part of a team. The coaching staff are part of the team. The supporters are, the directors are, the volunteers that come to help us out on match days are, everything, and they've bought into that, and it is absolutely fantastic that they've done it that way. In terms of the finances for Jono and Bern, obviously any any management team wants to sign players, as we talked about <coughs> earlier, and if you've got someone with, with deep pockets, you can say, I want him, him and him, and the chances are you'll get them quickly. In a fan ownership model, how does the finance when it comes to signing players work? Is it down to the contacts of John and Bern? Is there a, a recruitment set up within the, the fan ownership structure? How does that work? Well, yes, John Ellen Byrne, to be honest with you, have got a lot of contacts uh, all throughout the North West, all throughout sort of North Wales, various places around. And they've worked with a lot of players in the past. So what they did, especially when they first come in, because they come in partway through the uh, summer 
off-season. So already some of our competitors had already been buying and signing uh, players that we probably would have wanted. And he's had to, well, a pair of them had to bring in players that they knew. What they did last summer is to add to the players that they got. They got rid of some of them that they didn't deem to be up to the level that we needed to be, and they brought some others in. What they're doing now and what they will do for next year is we've already signed up about a third of the squad. These are players that are between the ages of sort of 19 and 23. These players are very, very integral to the future of the football club. And these players are all players that have played for John Owen Byrne before um, in their previous clubs. And they know how the players work and the players know how John and Byrne works. And this is one of the things that I think what makes us knit as a team. Yeah, of course we have off days. We have bad days. I mean, we, we, we get beat. We got beat by the bottom club just the, last week, you know, which and, and we put in a, an awful performance. But we've also beat teams at the top of the table. You know, we're nicely positioned in the playoffs. So hopefully all being well. You know, we'll, we'll get a playoff place and then we can push on for promotion. But we have a budget for John and Byrne. We also have, if you like, a contingency plan just in case, you know, we're either too close to the bottom of the table and we need to sign players to go up and, and stay in the league or we're pushing for promotion and we need another couple of players coming in. And we then release some of that money into it if they really need it. They don't know how much that is because we don't tell them, but they know how much the budget is and it's up to them to manage the budget properly. It's no good spending it all in the summer, which they don't. What they will do, they will spend probably about two-thirds of it in the summer. See how that team nets with the players or the new players coming in with the current players that we already have. If it works, then they will save whatever money is left to a later date. If it's not working, then they will bring one or two in. So that's basically how it works with us. You know, we we give them as much as we can give them, but being fans-owned, we can't just say, here's a million-pound budget or a two-million-pound yeah. budget because we haven't got it. It's as simple as that. We're not the highest-paying... Um, or we, we're not a club with the highest budget in our league. I understand York have got... York City have got a budget which is probably twice ours. Um, and one or two other clubs are sort of around about what we've got, maybe a little bit more. A lot of them are a bit less. But there is that divide in the league. And if you go up a level to the National League, then you're looking at teams up there which are all full-time, that are have millionaire owners, um, because there's very few um, fans-owned clubs up in that league with the clout to stay there on a regular basis. So um, it's, it's a dogfight. Once you get up there, because the Holy Grail is the Football League, it's a dogfight. But we want to be in that fight. We want to be able to give ourselves a chance to get back into the Football League. John Owen Bernard believe in that. They are absolutely delighted to sign the contracts and they are absolutely deli- de- delighted to be at Chester Football Club. I'm kind of putting you in the spot with this question, but I think it's a question you, you'll understand and I think you will appreciate being a fans-owned club and being in the, the, the National League set-up, National League North or the National League proper, hopefully come next season, does it frustrate you that there's no financial fair play at that level considering you're a fans-owned club? Because 
You look at some of the teams in the National League who have incredible budgets, and even up here in Scotland, some National League clubs can pay a player more in wages than even our Scottish Premiership clubs can, which I think frustrates a lot of people in Scotland because they just think, how can that be fair? How can we be subject to financial fair play, but they aren't? Does that frustrate you from a, a, a fan's own club perspective, or do you just try and pay attention to your, to, to your own club and focus on that solely? Uh, well, I'm not too sure about exactly <clears throat> excuse me, what the rules and regulations are. I understand in the Football League you're allowed to spend a maximum of 55% of your annual turnover on uh, a playing budget. Um, they're trying to obviously keep it as fair a level as possible. Um, in the National League, I believe there is some sort of a, a level um, in our league, there isn't. So, in other words, some clubs in our league might be paying seven, eight, nine hundred, a thousand pounds per game. And bearing in mind these are non-league players at two levels outside the football league. Um, a, a perfect example uh, for you is when uh, John Owen Byrne were at Salford and they got and uh, Alexander came in to take over the manager's job. Um, folks it did, because they, they do have a millionaire owner as well. They have a guy called Lim, who is uh, absolutely minted. Yeah. And basically, they went up to Aberdeen, and I understand, I don't know the, the exact figures, but they offered a ridiculous amount of money for Adam Rooney. Uh, Adam then come down and signed for them, and then they paid him a lot of money a week. Exactly how much the figure was, I don't know. There's all sorts of figures between sort of like £2,000 and £6,000 a week. Uh, I'm not too sure if that's remotely accurate. Yeah. But they were allowed to do that because the rules and regulations weren't tight enough to stop them. Now, you get another club that's worked its way up and has got in there, and they're living on crowd maybe four, five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred, something like this per game. And they are playing perhaps 300, 350 pounds per, uh, per week um, in wages. There's a hell of a difference. So Absolutely. there is a demand in, in all leagues, to be honest with you, probably up in Scotland as well, but certainly in England, yeah. there is a divide there. Um, it needs to be levelled off. Um, I would prefer that you take a how can I work how can I say this right whatever your turnover is there must be a limit to what you can spend on players and pay and that includes paying them yeah. you know obviously transfer fees probably wouldn't be included in that but I think that that is the only way you're going to get some sort of a level playing field Um at the moment, it's not like that. There are a lot of teams out there that are paying well over the odds for players that are playing non-league football. There are players in non-league football, I know this, that are getting a lot more money than some players, and a lot of players, in fact, in League One. So I think that everybody wants to get into the Football League, and because of that, they will do whatever's necessary to, to get up there. And if they got a millionaire owner, then that. And he's, and he's allowed to, then he will spend the cash on these players. But it is difficult because fans own club 
usually have a set budget that they can play around with a little bit and that's it. But if you've got a millionaire backer, then obviously you've got a far better chance of possibly climbing the leagues quicker um, because of the financial clout that these people have. In terms of the next few years, obviously the next decade, you've mentioned that the club hope to become a sustainable football league club again. When you get to the football league, would you consider, or would you think, do you think City Fans United would consider someone to come in and buy the club, or do you think the fans' ownership principle is so strong and, and that's the way the club want to remain? Because from the outside looking in, it's it's such an admirable stance. I really do think it's a great thing, and I think more clubs should be considering fan ownership because these clubs are institutions for the local community, and to see them owned by the fans is, is truly wonderful. <laughs> oh, what a question, Callum. Oh, wonderful. Thanks very much for dropping me in on that one. Um, <laughs> right. <clears throat> I think the best way to answer that would be... <sighs> there are fan ownership clubs in the Football League, but they are different to the way we do it and different to the way other teams do it. I know that Wimbledon... I've always had one or two backers, even when they formed initially, the same people are doing it, and they're putting a fair amount of money in on a regular basis. So that's one type of fan ownership. They're, they're fans, they have a board that they sort of are not on, they don't pull the strings, they just fund it. Um, Exeter City, a fan-owned club, they do something a little bit different. They have... Uh, a very good um, fan base and they charge uh, a lot more money than we do to be members and they do it on a monthly basis so they're getting extra money in that way Um, and again they don't have any backers as such but they've got their access to one or two very very good uh, sponsorship deals in fact one of them is uh, possibly going to be a problem for them now because they were backed um, and had been backed for quite a few years by Flybe, and they've just obviously gone into administration, so um, they're going to need to find a new sponsor for that. Um, so, right, Chester Football Club. I think we, we as a club want to get into the Football League. We want to do it as a fan-owned club, but we're probably going to need to have extra income coming in from a variety of different sources. Now, we do have options for people if they want to donate money to us. And one or two people have done that in the past and one or two still are doing it now. Now, this doesn't mean to say they're going to put, you know, 10 million or 20 million in. What this means is that they will give us, you know, X number of thousands of pounds where we might be able to buy a player with that to help us get bigger or we might be able to do some ground improvements or we might be able to do this and that. That's possibly the way we might go. They won't have a say on the board. The board of directors are elected. So what they would do is donate the money in. Um, They would be possibly allowed to say, well, we want this for infrastructure or this can go towards players or whatever it might be. And then it's down to the board then to decide how we manage that particular thing. I think something along those lines would possibly be acceptable. But would we sell it to somebody again? I don't know, because I don't think 
as a fans-owned club, we've got anything to sell. We don't own the ground, it's council-owned. We don't own the land that it's all sitting on, the car park and everything else around it, because that's all council-owned. Um, we get, we've got a very good relationship with them. We've got two or three really, really good sponsors that are plowing in some good money. Um, I don't know. We would need to have uh, at least 75% back in from the CFU members um, to be able to carry something like that through. And what they're going to buy, I don't know, because there's basically nothing there because our assets uh, are actually the ground and the land it's on, but they're owned by the council. Yeah. So we're only renting from them. And the uh, the other assets that we've got are only the playing staff. You know, our better players would carry some sort of a cost, but, uh, you know, or a, a price, if you like, on the heads. Um, don't know. That is something that we would need to seriously consider, not just as a board, but as a complete fans own club so it'll certainly start the conversation going and there'll be one or two arguments over it, over it both ways I would imagine The last thing I want to talk about with you Paul, thank you so much for your honesty and openness and, and all the subjects we've talked about so far I just want to end this podcast with you as it, but just really saying thank you I've opened up obviously in recent weeks about the sort of mental health struggles I had at a spell last year and the main way I tried to to, to cope with my mental health issues was obviously confiding those close to me my mum and my girlfriend especially and also through football which is the game I love and Chester Football Club with Jono and Bern going there's a club that I started to follow because I loved watching them in the, in the Salford journey and I wanted to see where they went next I wrote to the club as you know and I wrote to yourself and not only did you get back to me but you've kept in contact with me since you've given me so much incredible information in the club you've came on the podcast tonight, which I really am thankful for. And and really, one of the things I try and promote on my football CFP platform is Football for Good. And Football for Good for me has been put into practice by yourself and Chester Football Club. And I just want to put on record for everyone listening, my sincere thanks for, for everything you've done for me, everything the club's done for me. And I've recently joined City Fans United because having spoken to you for, for many months now, there's nothing I want more than to see Chester succeed as a fans own club because having spoken to yourself and, and, and fans and members of City Fans United, I can see how much it means to people to be part of such a, a close-knit community and, and a historic community, as we've talked about earlier. Well, thank you very much, first of all, for your very, very kind comments. And what you actually said, you probably answered your own question what you said, that is what Chester is all about. We are a fan zone club that is very friendly. We're very welcoming towards uh, other people that want to join us, want to be part of the journey. We're very welcoming to other clubs that we play them. Um, and their fans, they're always welcome. A lot of the fans tend to mix, even though we've got segregation in the ground. But, you know, afterwards or before the game, when they go into the blues bar and they have a drink together... It's all good fun. And this is why I've invited you down, Callum, so you can see yourself exactly what the club is all about. It's all right me telling you, and I know we've known each other now for a few months and we've been talking, um, and then you were going to come down for the Gateshead game and that was called off because of a waterlogged pitch. But when you come down 
and you see what goes on, you see the people involved, you see how we do things. You, you will. Everybody's approachable at the club, whether it's any of the directors, whether it's the players, whether it's the managers. If you want to talk to the managers, you want to talk to the players, have photographs taken with the players, whatever it is, they are always available because they've all bought in to exactly what you said about being a friendly club. We respond to things um, as quickly as we possibly can. We are looking to build a bigger uh, fan base and everything else. So you being part of the journey, Callum, and being a CFU member is absolutely brilliant, especially from where you are in Scotland. It is fantastic. I know about your past because we've been very honest with one another and everything. You know my thoughts on it, and you know, as a club, what we're trying to do. Um, I, when, when we talk to you and see you, and I'll talk to you before then anyway, then we will be talking about sort of the mental, and mental, health, mental health issues that are prevalent in society as a whole but can be prevalent in football as well how many footballers have had the problems and everything like that we want to be part of helping everybody we have a former players association which looks after people uh, that used to play for chester that may be fallen on hard times maybe they're not as well as they used to be and we look after them we're one big family we look after each other. That's what it's all about. And if everybody did that, there would be less problems in the world. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Paul, for all of your support for not for myself over the last few months. And, and thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast. Since I started it, I've been desperate to get you on. And I'm, I'm delighted that you've agreed to do it. And thank you for your thoughts tonight on a whole range of issues. It's been a pleasure. Not a problem at all. Anytime you want a phone call, Callum, you know where to you know where to find me, mate. I'm always on the end of the phone. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And it's been an absolute pleasure as well being on your uh, blog tonight. So we'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave and our shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song. We'll dive down to ocean and we'll make her home in a deep sea cave and her shells will